Hi, I'm Liz from Liz Gets Loaded. That's the money kind of loaded, but this is the show where I sit in my closet, drink wine, and talk about money and anxiety. I have both. Hello, friends. It is Thursday. Today is a mixed drinks episode. That means instead of having one topic to talk about, I've got a couple different things. I'm looking at my notes. They are very chicken scratchy. And I think this is essentially four things, maybe in two different buckets. And the two buckets are the first bucket is $1 million. And I have several thoughts about $1 million, mostly because the song, if I had a million dollars has been stuck in my head for the last couple of days. (laughs) So I have a couple of thoughts related to that. And my second topic is about the relationship between price and quality, which should be a straight ratio. Price goes up, quality goes up, but it, but it isn't. So that's what I have in my mind. If you want to hear more about that, then just keep listening. All right. If I had a million dollars, I, so, uh, if you don't follow already, there's an account on Instagram that I really, really like. Um, and it's called curating contentment. And she shared this week that she and her husband crossed over the $1 million net worth mark, which is so exciting. And congratulations again. And it made me think about the idea of being a millionaire and how it's a very different thing than it used to be. So I told you I've had it if I had a million dollars stuck in my head. And that made me want to look up how much a million dollars was compared to now when the song came out. So the song, the Bare Naked Ladies song, you know, the one. It came out in 1992, so about 30 years ago, which is wild. I still think of 1992. I'm like, oh, okay, so like eight years plus, oh, plus another 23 years. <laughs> it's 30 years ago. Okay. So that song came out in 1992. So a million dollars in 1992 would be the equivalent of a little over $2 million. So like $2.1 million today. And it's a funny thing. Like, I don't want to say a million dollars isn't what it used to be, but a million dollars is not what it used to be. I actually remember someone saying to me, it didn't stick or make much of an impression at the time, but I do remember someone saying to me when I was very young, some kind of child, I don't remember how old I was, that if you could just have a million dollars, then you could live off of the interest because the interest was 4%. Now I'm pretty sure that person meant you could actually get 4% on like an interest rate on your savings account, because that might've been what it was at the time, which of course we're back there now, but, but that was, you know, that has not always been the case and has not always been common. And the point was that $40,000 was really plenty to live off of. And, and certainly depending on the choices you make, $40,000 could still be enough to live off of. But I think the person who was talking to me at the time was sort of implying like a family could live off of that easily, which I would say is not the case now, but in any case, my point, like my actual point is that you now need $2 million to have the same buying and pending, excuse me, spending power as you once had 30 years ago with $1 million. And so it's incredibly impressive to have a million dollars and to become a millionaire. It's also, I mean, there is no term for like two millionaire, right? There's multi, there's multi-millionaire, I guess, but that's anything from two to 999 right before you get to a billion. So that's a pretty wide range. I feel like there should be some kind of term for like, like a couple, a millionaire, right? If you have $1 million, you were extremely well off, especially on the global scale. 
but I think the connotation of millionaire, meaning sort of someone who's rich and can generally buy anything that they'd like to buy, I I would put that around. I'd say you need two. I'd say you need two. That's just my, (laughs) that's my back of the napkin math there, I guess. In any case, I was thinking about millionaires. I was also thinking like, are you allowed to call yourself a millionaire if you have a million dollars between two people or do you each need a million? We talked about this in my house <laughs> um, and the consensus one, like I could have it. I was like, okay, you have $0 and I have 1 million and I'll have $1 million. And then we'll just have 1 millionaire in the house and one broke person in the house. <laughs> and then once we get to $2 million, then when that happens, then we'll both be millionaires. But I was thinking about this for some reason. I was thinking about it really hard. I was like, well, I don't know, because by that logic, if you said a a couple who has a combined net worth of $1 million is a millionaire, but like they're both millionaires, then what about, I also saw, um, if you don't follow already, uh, millennial money, honey, Katie, uh, shared that her net worth crossed over $600,000. And I was like, well, if she met someone else like her, like if she married someone tomorrow and that person also had a net worth of 500 or $600,000, then, then like, poof, you go from being halfway there to being all the way there to both being millionaires. I just think it's like an interesting thing to think about. And I was thinking about it really hard. And then I sort of thought to myself, like in, in what context do you actually need to self-identify as a millionaire? This is not, this is not a real problem. Like maybe somewhere on the internet and, but at, never at a dinner party is anyone going to say, all right, go around the room, raise your hand if you're a millionaire. So I just thought it was funny. It was just something I was thinking about. If you have opinions about what makes a millionaire, you tell me. You can find me in the DMs. Okay. The second thing I wanted to talk about was the relationship between price and quality. And this came to mind because, so if you're not already listening to Inside Out Money, you should be. Inside Out Money is a podcast. I am one of the rotating co-hosts. So a woman named Maggie Tucker is the primary host. And every week she has one of four rotating co-hosts come on and join her for a conversation around lifestyle inflation or buying an electric car or spending in line with your values, all kinds, all kinds of good stuff. In any case, I am one of those rotating co-hosts, but I am also a fan. What's, what's like that commercial? Like I'm not just like the hair club for men. Oh, I'm, I'm really dating myself. I'm not just a, I'm not just the president. I'm also a member. Anyways, I'm not just one of the rotating co-hosts. I am also a fan and a listener, and I get very excited when the episodes come out on Monday morning. I sometimes stay up Sunday night to listen to them. And on the this week's episode, Maggie was talking to Erica, and they weren't really talking about this, but there was a, an offhand comment or two made about how cheap clothing tends to fall apart right away. And I think that's... In, in my mind, I think that's a paradigm as a thought pattern that needs to shift. I have owned lots and lots and lots of inexpensive clothing. I don't take particularly good care of it. I throw it in the washing machine and mm, I do a mix of drying things and hang drying things, but I don't take any special care. And I think that my inexpensive clothing lasts about as long as my expensive clothing for the most part, with some exceptions for sure. My point though, and I do have one, is that actually I think there's a pretty inconsistent relationship between price and quality in clothing. I have definitely purchased some expensive clothing that felt like the material wasn't very nice. Maybe a seam came apart. Maybe there were some loose threads and I've bought some inexpensive clothing that has hung together very well. My thing I get annoyed about with clothing and pricing 
is something that's expensive and expensive is relative, but something I would consider expensive and like a dress or a skirt or a jacket that doesn't come with a lining. And I think that it should for the price. In any case, I don't think there's a one-to-one relationship between price and quality when it comes to clothing. But I think a place where price and quality are almost one-to-one, except it's an, in oh gosh, I'm going to try to talk about math, except it's an inverse ratio is fruit or produce in general. And I think it might be the only thing in our modern economy where the less expensive something is, the better quality it is. And I thought about this because I was having a conversation in DMs with someone about grapes. And she said, I just paid $17 for a bag of grapes. And I was like, that is a bummer. I don't like to pay that much for grapes, but they're probably not in season right now. And when they are in season, not only will they taste better, but they will also be far, far, far less expensive. I looked it up. A quick Google search told me that grapes are in season from August through October. And so from August through October, grapes are pretty inexpensive. I want to say like a dollar a pound. And it's when they're at their most delicious. In the winter, you can still get grapes, but they are more expensive and they don't taste as good. So I'm I'm more likely to pass on grapes in the winter because I don't want to pay more for something that is also not as delicious. It's the only example I could think of where the better something gets, the less expensive it gets. And I thought that was interesting. I wish it worked that way with clothes. That would be amazing, but it doesn't. And sometimes you're paying for quality. There are some brands. I posted a story on Instagram to ask about some brands and, and some of them really rang true for me. A couple of people mentioned Land's End and L.L. Bean. And I think those are generally pretty quality. I wouldn't say they're super expensive, but they're, they're I wouldn't describe them as cheap. I have a pair of Fry boots that were expensive and very good quality. But the challenge with clothing is that a lot of the price is often tied to the brand and the marketing. And and there's also just a lot of inconsistency. I, I asked for suggestions for 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 brands that last or for clothes that absolutely don't last and fall apart. And I got several answers of Old Navy in both categories. Like, oh, Old Navy lasts forever. Old Navy does not last forever. And I really think it just depends. Uh, okay, here's an interesting, here's a little bit of a tangent, but... So I have worn a lot of pairs of Gap jeans in my life. I posted this on Instagram and I was a little bit hesitant to share it, but then I got a bunch of DMs like, oh my gosh, me too. So I go through jeans. I don't as much anymore, but I used to walk to work and I do not have a thigh gap. And by the way, thigh gaps are like, do you all remember the craze around thigh gaps? So thigh gaps like have very little to do with how much you weigh and like a lot to do with the angle at which your femur comes out of your hip socket. Anyways, I have no thigh gap. <laughs> and so, and, and never have, and never, and probably wouldn't at literally any weight. But in any case, when I was walking to work, I would just always long-term end up with a hole um, sort of like in the crotch of my jeans, because that's where like, you know, those two pieces of fabric rub together when I'm walking and they would get a hole. I would for sure get holes when I used to ride my bike a lot more, but even walking anyways, oversharing. But so I used to buy jeans from the gap a lot because they were always on sale. They were pretty inexpensive. And I kind of knew I was going to go through them anyways. And the sizing was so inconsistent, not just like, Oh, this style, like the high rise jeggings fit differently than the low rise boot cut. But you would, I, I would pick up two pairs of jeans, same style. Let's say, you know, low rise boot cut and worn low rise boot cut jeans in a very long time. But let's say I picked up two of those 
same color, same wash, same size, same length. And you could take them into the dressing room and they would fit completely differently. And I know that because I would buy a pair of jeans and be like, oh, I really like these. I'm just going to order a couple more pairs. And they would come and be, I mean, inches shorter, totally different, completely different cut. And I learned, okay, do I trust my ability to describe this in words? Okay. So what I learned was the way that less expensive jeans are cut is that the manufacturer often stacks up multiple layers of fabric and then cuts them at the same time. So imagine like laying out a piece of denim, laying another piece of denim on top of that, another piece on top of that, another piece on top of that, another piece on top of that, and then taking the scissors and trying to cut all of those layers at the same time. It's kind of like when you were a kid in school and you would stack up five or six pieces of construction paper and then try to cut it with your scissors all at the same time. And it works, but you know, the edges are all a little like wonky. And when you hold up those pieces that you've cut like that, they're not all the same size. And it works the same with jeans. Like you can do it, but they're not all going to be exactly the same size. And so because you don't have that, what am I trying to say? The same quality control, I guess, over the, the size of each piece of fabric that you're using. Of course, each pair of jeans ends up a little bit different. As opposed to an expensive brand, I when I buy expensive jeans, and I do sometimes, I, I like Hudson jeans. And I, I'm telling you, they fit exactly the same. Every single pair I buy in my size fits the same. <laughs> like they are so consistent where was I even going with this? Just inconsistency out in the world. (laughs) I mean, I could go on and on about clothing and specifically women's clothing sizes and women's clothing and how it's all marketing and it's all branding. And sometimes it correlates to quality and sometimes it doesn't. In any case, I'm going to stop there. I think I've said enough (laughs) for this week. That is all I have for you today, my friends. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you are heading into a wonderful weekend. I hope you have a meaningful holiday. If you have any thoughts, I would love to hear from you. Makes me feel less alone talking here in this room by myself. And if you haven't left a review on Apple Podcasts, that'd be a great idea. If anything about this episode made you think about a friend, maybe share this episode with them. That's all I got. And I will talk to you next week. Bye.